Welcome to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. My name is Todd. I'm here with my friend Alyssa, and she's going to ask me something I don't know anything about. What do you know about oranges? Um, Florida, right? I know that they come from Florida. Okay. Right? Um, they're citrus. They're, they don't rhyme with anything. Um, what are you getting at? They are not naturally occurring. They are not naturally occurring. Correct. They are a hybrid of tangerines and pomelos. Really? Yes. So there were no wild orange groves back in the day? No. They were um, originally known as Chinese grapefruits, and they were actually a green color. Really? Yeah. Interesting. And so then they slowly got turned into... They the got oranges that we know selectively today. bred into yeah. Tropicana. Wow. Yeah. I I did not know that. Yep. Okay. Because they were originally subtropic. Like you could only grow them in one area. Right. And so then they've kind of helped their genetics so that they can grow pretty mm. much anywhere now. Oh. So we could put an orange tree in my front yard? Yeah. I don't want to I don't want an orange tree in my front yard. <laughs> Does it make a mess? I I'm trying to get my yard to less mess. Yeah, apple, our neighbor has a lot of fruit trees. They're apples mm. and pears and those kinds of things. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of apples on the ground right now. See, we had apple trees at our old place, <clears throat> but they weren't well cared for. It was kind of like back in the day, there was an orchard, mm-hmm. you know, and these are the last couple trees that are kind of hung over and are left over. And the deer would come mm-hmm. and clean up the apples after they fell, which was nice, right? Yeah. But uh, if we didn't have deer, they would be really, really inconvenient. Lots of apples. See, this is the, so we have newer neighbors. I mean, these trees have been around for years. Um, Our previous neighbor, he just didn't spray them. Mm. So, like, if you pulled one off the tree, you you had to cut it. And you Mm. couldn't just eat it because you didn't know if you were going to get half a worm or not kind of thing. Um, But our new neighbors, they have decided to spray. And so there's a lot. I don't want to say there's a lot more apples. I think the weather was a little bit better this year. Mm. So there is a little bit more than there was last year. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If I bit into an apple and there was a half of a worm, I would never be able to eat apples <laughs> without cutting them again. That would just completely weed me out. Yeah, when we got our five-gallon uh, bucket from him, our previous neighbor, he was like, just make sure you cut them or peel them with whatever you're doing because right. you want to make sure that there's not... Because apples can rot from the inside out. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm learning all kinds of things about fruit that just terrifies me. Yeah, I'm I'm like food that's even a little bit questionable. Mm-hmm. Like, nope, I'm out. I've I've never, to my knowledge, I've never gotten like food. Uh, what's the word? Food poisoning. Food poisoning. Yeah, that's it. I've never gotten food poisoning because I'm picky. I, I think I got it one or two times, but it was mostly from restaurants, not from my own cooking. Yeah, so. I'm I'm the well done guy. I'm like, yeah, this chicken is dry, but it's done. <laughs> so. so something I know a little bit about is um, like biblical studies. That's kind of my my field. Um, and one of the things that we've been talking about at church is decision making. And in my mind, one of the things that really naturally connects with decision-making 
is conflict management. Okay. And so on Sunday, we went through kind of a, I, I narrowed the field, right? I didn't okay. consult Revelation or the Gospels or Acts, just the, the epistles kind of right in there in the middle, okay. which focused on guys like Paul and John and James, uh, Peter. And I, I thought about how many times is there conflict in the New Testament? Mm. Turns out there's a lot, Yeah, you know? Um, and if you start with something like the book of Galatians, Galatians is a situation where the apostle Peter, who is also called Cephas, okay. he is um, <clears throat> acting in a way that is inconsistent with the gospel, okay? And one of the big things in the first century was Jewish-Gentile unity, Right. That people who were ethnically Jewish and people who were not Jewish, because they trust in Jesus, they now become one new family, like mm -hmm. very a very strong kind of bond. They have a very strong bond mm -hmm. because of what Jesus has done for them. And the problem is that they didn't always get along before that right. because they were very, very different. And so Jewish people would be very careful about what they ate, mm -hmm. and Gentile people would not. And most of the meat that you would eat in the ancient world had been sacrificed in an idol's temple. So uh, if you were in the city of Jerusalem, of course, that's where um, Judaism and Christianity, that's the central point there. Right. You would not have illegal or unauthorized food, meat offered in an idol's temple there. But if you traveled the ancient world, if you went to Rome or if you went to Ephesus or you went mm -hmm. to uh, Athens, anything that you bought in the market was probably first offered in an idol's temple. So we were talking about Zeus, right? Yeah. So you did, Zeus would have a temple. Mm -hmm. People would bring an offering to Zeus. They would kill it. They would you know, do the thing there. And then they would sell the meat in the market. Okay. Can a Christian eat that meat? Mm -hmm. For a Jewish person who has converted to Christianity... That would just com be completely gross, right? Mm -hmm. That would be like so far off the table for them that even the idea would just kind of make them disgusted. For a Gentile, they're like, that's good. Yeah, barbecue. It's meat. It's yeah, it's meat. And meat was a luxury in the ancient world. Mm -hmm. Most of the time you ate bread. So, you know, if you... We're, we're kind of the opposite. We, we have a sandwich and every sandwich has, you know, some sort of meat on it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> unless you, you know, peanut butter and jelly. I guess that's one of the exceptions. Peanut butter would be considered your protein in your meat. Yeah. So some sort of protein. Um, so cheese Peter. Meat either. <laughs> what? I said a grilled cheese wouldn't have meat either. Right. Sure. But cheese would have some protein. Right. Yeah. Any, anyway, we digress. So Peter is a Jewish Christian. And he is in the church of Galatia, and he is um, eating with Gentiles. So this is not just eating Gentile food. This is sitting at the table mm -hmm. with Gentiles, which a Jewish person would regard that as mixing and unclean. Right. right. So Peter is eating with these guys at the table, um, and then some other Jewish Christians come, and they separate from the Gentiles. So you have the cool kids and the not cool kids. And then Paul comes. Now, Paul is also a Jewish Christian. But Paul knows 
that Peter is being a hypocrite. And he, he knows that it is a sin. Mm-hmm. It is wrong for him to do that. And so Galatians says, I, I got in his face. I withstood him to his face. So Paul shows up and says, Peter, what you're doing is wrong. Mm-hmm. And here's why it's wrong. Because Jews and Gentiles now through Christ are one. And so you should be eating at the table with them. Um, that's just one example and in my mind, this is this is at the highest level, right? Peter was one of the disciples who became an apostle. He was a follower of Jesus. Uh-huh. Peter is the guy to whom God revealed through a dream that um, by the lowering of the sheet full of unclean animals, um, God said to him in the dream, rise, Peter, kill and eat, because Peter was hungry. He was waiting for lunch. <laughs> and Peter said, no, Lord, I've never, I would never do that. I would right. never violate my conscience that way. And then this happens three times, and the lesson was what God has called clean, you don't call unclean. So that sort of opens the door to eating different foods. But then as Peter goes downstairs for lunch, there's a man there asking him to come and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And so there's like this double message there, Right. right? Like you can eat the food, but if you grew up, like not eating certain things, mm-hmm. how likely are you to eat certain other things when you get older? Maybe like there are food adventurous people. I am not that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I know what I like. I'm going to have that. Right. And it's going to be well done. Um, <clears throat> Got to have a little pink in those steaks. I can eat it. Right. I like, I won't send it back, but I order it medium well. Mm. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. It's a flaw. <laughs> Uh, one of the many, make a list. Um, so, you know, and, and this is where, like, this is the highest level. These guys are sincere, committed followers of Jesus. They know mm-hmm. that they're not, that Peter knows he's not supposed to do this. And Paul knows he's not supposed to do this, but Paul is the guy who's like, I have to say something. Right. And that's where I think we're, we have lost that in the modern church in some ways because we live in separate houses, in separate communities. Mm-hmm. I mean, you live, what, five, ten miles from here? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't walk. No. No. I no. Mean, certainly not in the same neighborhood, right? <laughs> um, so, you, But still, so what goes on at your house? When? What? Are, <laughs> like, are you having crazy raves at your house? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I'm not invited? <laughs> Um, what am I doing at my house? You know, right. I, I live at the corner of church and Walnut. So everybody knows what I'm doing. Um, it's a very, very well-traveled street, church street. Um, so this is at the highest level of Christianity. These guys are followers of Jesus. They knew Jesus and they still have this conflict. Mm-hmm. Why? Because we're human. Because we're still human. Yeah. And that's where I think, People in the world, like what what happens when conflict springs up is that we typically try to avoid it, right? We Mm -hmm. try to avoid uh, problems at work. You know, you work in a hair salon. Mm -hmm. Are there ever any, is there any drama? Oh, never. Never? Never never any drama at the hair salon? No, all the time. I don't believe that. Yeah, all the time. How is it resolved? Sometimes it's resolved by cattiness, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it's resolved by just being mean. 
You know, people just fight back. Yeah. They just show up and fight. Well, that creates a bad work environment. Mm-hmm. At what point does management get involved? Right. We're pretty small, so we're always involved. Always involved, <laughs> yeah. But you can imagine a big company, you know, how, how often does management have to get involved? I mean, this is the whole, like, this is one of the main functions of the human resources department. Right. Is managing conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, know a, I know a guy who worked for a friend, right? His boss was his friend, right? Mm-hmm. But his boss had a very clear understanding of this is the boss realm and this is the friend realm and they don't mix. Mm-hmm. And they tried it. I mean, they tried to do that for, for a long time. And eventually it really kind of fell apart because the friend thought the boss should be more financially generous, mm-hmm. right? You should pay me more. I'm worth more. Mm-hmm. And that may be true, but what's the boss's performance based on? Probably payroll expenses, one category by which his performance is judged right. for the year. Yeah. I got X done with less dollars. Mm-hmm. So there was a there was an opportunity on there was a tension anyway. Right. For both parties to be pulling on the friend aspect of their relationship at the expense of the boss part of the relationship. The friend later got a job for more money at a different company, right? Right. Because then then the friend aspect of things is more clear. You are not my friend. Mm-hmm. You are my boss. I want more money. And the boss says yes, no or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Conflict happens. And conflict happens all around us, and typically we try to avoid it because we don't we don't want to deal with the psychological pain that's involved. Mm-hmm. We don't want to deal with the um, the hassle of trying to understand somebody. Mm-hmm. We don't want to become humble and admit when we're wrong. I mean, can you imagine a marriage when one party is never wrong? Yeah, not not pretty. Not, yeah, I mean that you know that would have a hard time working out, mm-hmm. right? I mean, my wife is rarely wrong because she's great and she listens to the podcast. So I think um, learning to be wrong is actually a very important life skill. You can't grow if you can't be wrong. Right. Um, <clears throat> and that's where when it comes to, especially when it comes to conflict, look for a way that you're wrong, right? Right. If I'm looking for a way that I'm wrong in my marriage relationship, Ruth Ann, like in, in my marriage, she gets to be the example a lot uh, as a pastor's wife. But when I think about, you know, when we have conflict, just about every time I can say, you know, honey, I should have handled that a little better. I should have come to you at a time where you weren't busy. Mm-hmm. I should have um, brought flowers. I should, bu- I should buy flowers more. You know, that, that should be my more of my husband jam. Um, there's, there's a lot of things, you know, that mm-hmm. learning how to be wrong helps you fix and finding ways that you can say, Hey, I was wrong here. I may not be wrong in the main point, but this point I could have done better mm-hmm. when it comes to, um, managing conflict. There are instructions in the Bible, right? God okay. knows that we're going to have conflict and he has given us, um, a lot of the, a lot of the Bible is really about managing conflict well. And one of the one of the passages that's extremely important is Matthew chapter 5. Okay. Matthew 5 is um it's sort of right after or it's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. You remember the Sermon on the Mount, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Blessed are the meek, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
Um, I'll read it so I don't mess it up. Okay. I just messed it up like twice. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When Jesus opens up, and, and the Bible doesn't always, it's not a transcript, right? It doesn't tell us everything that he said in these moments. It gives us kind of the, not, not the gist, but the important parts. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what Jesus is talking about here in the Beatitudes are the values of the kingdom. So, you know, when you think about blessed are the peacemakers, you know, um, for they shall, what are they going to do? They shall be called sons of God. That's a good thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so that value of being a person able to make peace is something that we should strive for. <clears throat> and so that's kind of the context. As Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount to these people, what he's doing is he's telling them these are the values of God's kingdom. This is what God's kingdom looks like. And when you think about all those different character qualities, man, it sure would be nice to have peace, and it sure would be nice to have um, people who are meek. You know, mm-hmm. Meekness is not um, someone who has no power. A meek person is someone whose power is well restrained. Mm-hmm. You know, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if all of our political rulers who had all of this power were meek and restrained that power? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it be great if people, you know, didn't drag each other into court right. when they tried to assert their dominance in different situations? And when it gets to verses like 21 to 26, this is where this is kind of like ground zero for some parts of conflict management. 21 says this, 521. You have heard it sa- sa- you have <laughs> you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. So verses 23 and 24 are really kind of ground zero for understanding that we should be keeping short accounts, that if something is wrong, we should be in a hurry to try and make it right. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I think about, if someone who had never uh, read the Bible, I didn't know what an offering was, how would I describe that to them? And so if you go, if you think about our religious acts of devotion, In the ancient world, much religious devotion was through animal sacrifice, Mm -hmm. right? So you would take an animal, you would go to the temple, you would offer the animal 
to in the temple. And in the Jewish temple, you know, this there's one offering called the burnt offering, which is really an offering of complete dedication. And so the animal sort of symbolizes you. Mm-hmm. And when it is consumed on the altar, one of the things it symbolizes anyway, is that you are completely dedicated and devoted to God because no part of that animal comes back to you. It is just a free gift. It is given. Mm-hmm. Many of the other offerings, you got a portion back. So you would provide for the priesthood through the offering. You would provide for your family through the offering. And there's no refrigeration in the ancient world. Right. So you're going to have to eat it anyway. So you, you take it to the temple, you make the offering, and then you go have dinner. <clears throat> but not with the burnt offering. Right. And so what this is picturing is someone is on the way to express their dedication to God. But there's a relational problem with another Christian. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, put your offering down. And so you can apply this to any religious task, okay? If you have a problem with another Christian, you are not supposed to pray about it. You're supposed to go and talk to him about it. Mm-hmm. You might pray on the way, right? Mm-hmm. But your feet need to be moving. What do we do? We don't. We don't. Mm-hmm. We go talk to somebody else about it. Hey, I'm having this problem and I'm really upset about it. Okay, what's the problem? Well, so-and-so said something that really hurt my feelings. Well, did you talk to him? No. That's wrong. Mm-hmm. And then we run the risk in that moment of gossiping about that person, of influencing the way someone thinks and believes and feels about another person when we talk about them, mm-hmm. talk to them. That's what the Bible tells you. And so there's no need to go study the Bible. This is the only passage that you need. If you're in conflict with somebody else, go talk to them. Now, let me let me enter into a caveat here. God knows that there are times that you can't. Mm-hmm. Romans, um, I think it's twelve eighteen, says, as much as possible, live at peace with all men. Live at peace with all people. So if you go into the hair salon, right, mm-hmm. <clears throat> there may be those two girls that just aren't going to get along. Yeah. And so what do you do with them? Just try to keep them separated. Keep them separated. You work on Tuesday, you work on Wednesday, and that's just it. Mm-hmm. Because they just refuse to get along. And it could be for any number of different reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time, who was it? It might have been, no, I forget. I forget who said it. But the quote goes something like this. It's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It's that it hasn't been tried, right? Okay. So this, think about this ethical system here, okay? If everybody who had a problem with somebody else went and talked to them, how many problems would that solve? The majority of them. And if that person, if both of these people were well-intentioned people who were actively trying to let God work humility in them, how many problems would it solve? I would imagine every problem, Mm -hmm. almost every problem between people who are well-intentioned, practicing humility, and willing to say I was wrong, almost every problem could be worked out. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that you'll get your money back, 
right? Right. Uh, that doesn't mean that your haircut, you know, is going to look good. I mean, if you get a bad haircut, it's a bad haircut. <laughs> um, but it does grow back. Thank God. <clears throat> so Matthew 5 is important for understanding conflict management from Scripture. The other passage is Matthew 18. And Matthew 18 talks about like a formal system of managing conflict between Christians. 1815 says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now, this is really important because if somebody, um, because you could be wrong. So let's say, um, let's do husband-wife, right? Okay. So with my wife, if she sins against me, she does something I don't like, she does something that hurts my feelings, um, my feeling, I, I'm not super emotional, uh, but I do have feelings and my feelings do get hurt sometimes. And I go talk to her and she might say, you're being a wuss. I mean, stop. And uh, you know what? Yeah, I am being oversensitive. Then I can then in this one on one conversation, if we are well intentioned and humble and practicing good listening skills and all those kind of things, I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Or she could agree with me or she could say, I need a, a couple of days to think about it or a day to think about it. Let's reschedule. So let's have this conversation. Hey, I think this is a problem. Um, Maybe she's not ready to talk about it. She says, hey, let me talk to you in a couple of days. Okay, how many days? Mm-hmm. Right? Can't be infinite. Right. We do have to come back around to it. In my wife's family of origin, their way that they managed conflict was that they would blow up and move on. Mm-hmm. And in my family of origin, we would um, ignore it. So we would have some sort of conflict that was just... A, it was a subtext, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got to figure out what's wrong. Neither of these is super healthy. Right. So we have tried to make sure that we keep short accounts, that we talk to each other, that if we have a problem, we go to each other one-on-one. What if it becomes, I guess this is where the marriage thing kind of breaks down. Well, maybe, maybe not. You go on in the text, but if he does not listen, I don't know why the masculine pronoun is used there. Oh, wait. But if he does not listen, take one or two along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Okay, so in this process, one person goes to another and says, hey, there's a sin uh, against me or against God. Mm -hmm. The person doesn't listen. That's when you go and bring somebody else in. So if I'm being a knucklehead with my wife and she has a problem, what's the next move? If I'm not going to move, right? Mm-hmm. Then the next thing would be, hey, we need some counseling. We need to bring somebody in. Right. Right. Do we bring somebody from her side or my side? Neutral. Neutral, right? Has to be neutral. And that's where marriage counseling is always a plus, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done any marriage counseling. We counsel marriages. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's the kind of thing that, like as a pastor, mm-hmm. I don't want to take a side. I want to think, okay, how can we improve the communication skills right. so that you can work it out together? Mm-hmm. And sometimes I've been, I've been doing a lot of reading, not a lot, but I've been doing some reading about um, personality types and personality differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know disc profiles, right? Oh, yeah. So my wife is much more of a D personality than I am. Okay. So Ds are people who get things done. They're just hard charging. They're always at the front. They're just leading the pack. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a C personality. Right. I like to have things in order. 
My office does not count. <laughs> uh, we're sitting in my office and it's a disaster at the moment. So most of the time in, in our personality mix, when she says, let's do this, I say, okay. Because mm-hmm. I don't have a preference or I don't need to fight about it. Right. Uh, I want to give her what she wants, right? Mm-hmm. I love my wife. But sometimes I'm like, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> and then I have to calculate, you know, how much do I want to push against her personality mm-hmm. to not do this or, or whatever. We've learned this about ourselves, right? Like we have a good relationship. We've learned how to, how to communicate. We've learned how to work things out. It doesn't happen automatically. It has to happen through the course of working through things. Right. If you never work through things, you never develop the ability to work through things. In the church and in in this passage, if a brother sins against you, go talk to him. If that doesn't work, go to these two or three other people. And that's where, and the beauty of the system is, is if you're wrong, Mm -hmm. those people should be the kind of people that call you out Mm -hmm. and say, no, this offense against you, this sin against you isn't a sin. It's you don't like green carpet. It's something more trivial. Mm -hmm. Then it goes to the third phase where it becomes an issue of church discipline. Um, Tell it to the church is what the text tells us. And what we in the modern world typically do is that that goes up to the leadership team. That I've seen it work well and I've seen it work badly. I used the example on Sunday kind of on the fly of a a person um, long ago, far away, (laughs) who was touching women inappropriately. Mm -hmm. And he was challenged one-on-one. Hey, what you're doing is making people uncomfortable. Please stop. He didn't stop. Took other people to him. Hey, what you're doing is inappropriate. You're touching people. You're making them uncomfortable. Please stop. If you just shake hands, then you're good. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to complain. And eventually it went to the level of church leadership and church leadership removed him from membership and asked him not to come. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. Yeah. Because some of the people on the leadership team had been conditioned to think, well, we just need to forgive and love everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we balance that with protecting everybody else who's being made uncomfortable by this person's bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And so those, we had multiple conversations on the leadership team about that. And it was a group of guys. <clears throat> and like it had come up around, uh, come around again. And we had someone in the room, but there was a lady in the room. Um, she was there mostly to take notes and help with some other things. Um, and she said, why, why would we do this? Why would we have this person come back if they're really not 100% changed, if they're really not making a difference, if they've right. really not come full circle? Mm-hmm. So that's one that that resolved like in a bad way for him, but a good way for the church. Mm-hmm. I know about another situation long ago and far away <laughs> um, where a man was behaving badly and it wasn't handled. Mm-hmm. for about 30 years. Mm-hmm. And so there's this trail of people who can tell stories. Yeah, he touched me inappropriately. He made me uncomfortable. He solicited 
you know, mm-hmm. a relationship with me. Uh, you know, it just, it was a disaster until then finally the leadership team stepped up and, and did Matthew 18. Right. Right. So in my mind, this is, this is a live issue for the church. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of things that churches need to do, but it all starts with the individual Christian who is willing to submit to, okay, if somebody comes to me, I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to think it through. I'm going to pray over it for discerning wisdom so that I can then change and come back and say, you know what? You were right. Mm -hmm. I did the wrong thing here. So there are any number of different examples, right? We can go with the trivial Mm -hmm. or the serious. Um, Some of the trivial things that people really do have problems with are, and and you can find these on the internet, right? The business meeting uh, was convened to talk about the length of the youth pastor's beard. (laughs) How how long can the youth pastor's beard be? Do you have an opinion? No, not at all. How about, how long can the pastor's beard be down here? Mm, Doesn't really matter. You don't care? Mm -mm. So I could be like complete Santa Claus? Yeah. I could go full Santa, you'd be okay with it? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. I don't think my wife would be okay with full Santa. <laughs> that's and that's really she's the only person that matters. This these are the kinds of things that church boards get really tied up about. Mm-hmm. Should the carpet be green or blue? What do you think? It needs to be a neutral color, but you know. A neutral color? Yeah. Uh what shade? Just neutral. Just neutral? Yeah. So like tan? That would be fine. Really? Hide the dirt a little bit, so maybe a darker tan, but yeah. A darker tan? Okay. <clears throat> no. <laughs> People get hung up on this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. right? What um, what outreach event should the church invest in? Should we go to Apple Fest or should we invest a lot of resources in Halloween? Mm. Can only pick one. I would probably say neither, but that's just... <laughs> neither? That's not an option. You don't like Apple Festival? Oh, no, I don't mind Apple Festival, but my thought is something that would help more of the single families and families mm. in the area versus giving candy to kids who probably need more healthier food. It's or the dental you know. industry keeping things, keeping things alive. Or the fact that we still have... Easter or Halloween candy from last year that the kids haven't eaten. Really? <clears throat> you haven't helped them? No, not really. We take taxes. Yeah. But that's my thing. It was be more of like, what can you do more outreach without expecting something back? Hmm. Yeah, that's um, so administratively. Like there's there has to be a balance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the care part of your personality just coming out because you care for people. Yeah. I like that about you. Thank you. Wish I had more of that in my life. I guess the, I guess the a big part of it too is not expecting something back because I know people of my generation kind of feel like, well, if the church is going to do something, they're expecting me to come to church. They're expecting mm. something back in return. Where it's mm. like, no, we're just doing this because we wanted to help you. Mm-hmm. If you want to come to church, that's great. But if you don't, I don't. You know. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, yeah, so like we're, we're branching off into administrative stuff. You know, if people in your generation don't come, there won't be a church. Yeah. For Fiona's generation. Yeah. So, yeah. Balance in all things. 
But but there's also the the force of like being told you have to go to church. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's that's also a thing that you know you're telling me to do it, so I'm not going to do it. You're a little rebel. <laughs> Maybe a little. Maybe a little. So that, but when we think about conflict management, right? And you can hit the button. When we think about conflict management, we have to come back to scripture because if we don't come back to scripture, we end up just freelancing mm-hmm. and kind of going with our defaults. And the defaults really are the things that are tearing us apart yeah. politically, socially, all those things. 